All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 122 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger, alongside Frank Saravalli, and obviously maybe a somber start to the pod. Uh, it's not been a great week. If you love uh, uh, great goal scorers, first Mike Bossy, and, and now today the news that uh, Guy Lafleur, the legendary Montreal Canadian, uh, has passed away after a, a battle with cancer. Uh, you know, two dynamic scorers, and man, Guy Lafleur with. Uh, uh, I guess maybe it depends on your age, Frank, but many people, I was a young kid and I still remember Guy Lafleur wheeling down the, you know, the wing, his hair back then with no helmet on, his hair flowing in. And he was one of the most polite players I think I've ever interacted with. Just an absolute icon, really one of the true hockey rock stars of that era. Like as big a name, as big a status as you could possibly imagine in Montreal and the province of Quebec, um, that hair, everyone will remember him for that hair, but geez, um, to think that Mike Bossy and Guy Lafleur are gone within seven days of each other. It's like ripping the heart out of Quebec. Yeah, it really cool. is like those two guys. Uh, so proud, so accomplished, so uh, genuine to themselves that I think that's sort of the lasting memory of both of them is you mentioned Guy Lafleur, just an absolute gentleman, Mike Bossy, sort of private and uh, and reserved and uniquely themselves. Yeah. And, you know. And, and very intertwined is, is two of the great scores. Bossy, of course, had nine consecutive uh, 50 goal seasons. Lafleur had six consecutive uh, 50 goal seasons. And you just, you know, you're not going to see that very often. Like I know Alex Ovechkin, and, and it's probably fitting that Ovi joins Mike Bossy kind of in, in a late tribute and honor to him as Ovechkin, uh, you know, in his last game scored the two goals. And now he has 50 goals for the ninth time in his career. And it, you're, you know what? You're just not going to see a lot of players that get to to five, six, seven, especially when you're talking consecutive, right? Like Lafleur did it six years in a row where he scored 50 goals. And you know, can, you, can you think of a more baller title? And, and I don't mean this with any disrespect, but to go down as the Montreal Canadians leading scorer of all time, like what an unbelievable feather in your cap. Guy Lafleur, 1,246 points past Jean Beliveau in his last season 
and he did it in 150 fewer games. Yeah. Like Frank, the, the, the thing about Guy Lafleur that I look at and like, I, I hear all the time today, Oh, the game's better today. The athletes are better. Uh, I always question that because I'll say this Guy Lafleur, you look when he had his six years, he had 119 points, 125, 136, 132, 129, 125. Now, and that was in the, in the, in the seventies and into the early eighties, the difference back then now Guy Lafleur was a smoker, but the difference Frank was the nutrition and, and the training that athletes have. And the reason athletes today are able to maximize their skills, their athletic prowess longer. And I wonder if a guy like Lafleur and Bossy specifically would have had the same, you know, health and stuff that players have today. I think you would have seen their greatness prolonged even longer. I agree. There's a fantastic story that our Matt Larkin got uh, Steve shut to tell uh, on dailyfaceoff.com as part of our story today, remembering Guy Lafleur. And he said, um, Scotty Bowman in 1976 had them train a little bit. They brought in a trainer to do some off ice dry land work. And they started with a three mile run and Steve Shutt said he could remember the goalies sort of loafing it and lagging like 400 yards behind everyone else. And they were just kind of jogging. He said it was a mild pace. And at some point, Guy Lafleur just looked at the trainer and said to hell with this and just absolutely took off like a bullet sprinting and the trainer didn't know what to do. So he went and ran after Guy Lafleur as well. By the time the trainer caught up to Guy Lafleur, he was already back inside the forum smoking a cigarette. (laughs) Like this is the guy brought in to train. And the best part about that is Guy Lafleur as talented and and as an uh, as much of an unbelievable player as he was, he would put his equipment away the day after the season and not take it out again until day one of training camp. Did not skate one time all summer. Uh, might might be an might be a little education process in there. I know that things have changed now, and you know you you want to be on the ice more. That there's skill development, which I think is a good thing. Actually, it's not like guys are on the ice, you know, just weren't working on tight turns and bag skates anymore. You know, they're working on you know sticks and skill sets, which is I think part of why we're seeing an increase in offense too. That you know I, I've seen a lot of stories out there. I, I honestly I think people are overlooking the, you know the fact that players are spending more time honing their skills, kind of like goalies have for years, but. You know, Lafleur was, I don't know, Frank, how many times you got to interact with him. I had Guy on my show many times. I've done some uh, charity events with, with Guy over the years. And, you know, it's funny. You, you use the word rock star. And I think what's unique about Guy was I found a lot of the players who came after him, who, you know, who grew up as young kids. I was very young when Guy played. But guys, you know, who came into the into the 90s, like Guy Lafleur, when they were around him, there's, oh, my goodness, like, that's Mr. Lafleur. Like, that's he the guy. was a big deal. He, like I said, the guy, like if you can think of, you know, what the scene was like in the 1970s, you know, in the U S it was the Beatles in the province of Quebec. It was Guy Guy Lafleur. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so definitely our condolences to uh, to Guy's family and his teammates and, and to all the fans of, of of Montreal Canadiens. And we should mention the Rangers and the Quebec Nordiques because he obviously uh, did return after uh, uh, not playing for three seasons and then came back for a bit and played, I think, another uh, 150 games uh, between those. One of uh, the few teams. guys to come back and play after being inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yeah. Back. Uh, yeah. You didn't have to wait the three years back then. Uh, he was obviously a no brainer uh, to go in. Um, Frank, we so are, by the have- way, before we move on, Guy Lafleur, is he in your top 10 players of all time? He's gotta be right. He's gotta be pretty close, huh? Yeah. He's, he's right around there. hundred percent. Like it's, um, he, I, I had, I might, I probably had Lafleur overall, maybe a little bit ahead of bossy only because you know, bossy's career was cut a little bit short, which kind of sucked for him. But uh, yeah, Guy Lafleur would, you know, you look at, you know, it's, it's interesting now because as you go longer, you know, people, Sidney Crosby for a long time wasn't in the top 10, but I think a lot of people would put him in there now. And, and a lot of people are like, well, how does Alex Ovechkin not go in your top 10 players of all time? Right. So because I think they're both in gone, there, right. And how I think he's Lafleur's in there. You think, yeah, LaFleur, there's Howe and, you know, Jagger and Lemieux and Gretzky, obviously, and Bobby Orr. And man, there's like, that's where it gets pretty tough. You've got guys like Mark Messier, right? Like a lot of people would say Messier should be in there because he could do things that like he, he added the physical prowess with the scoring that some of the other guys didn't. 
could be an interesting debate, but Guy Lafleur, he's special, special player. Yeah. And especially human being too, which is a, which is an added bonus for him. Uh, speaking of good guys, uh, Hal Gill is going to join us uh, later on today in the, uh, as, as our, as our guest on the rundown, uh, as we're into the, uh, the, the final stages of the, of the NHL season, the, the playoffs, Frank, I've uh, been told they're going to start on, on the second and the third Monday, uh, May 2nd and 3rd. So they don't want to wait till Wednesday, which is usually the case. And, and that makes sense. And, uh, the playoff pitcher, we only have one series, Frank, for sure. Minnesota and St. Louis. And that's it. Now, you know, Edmonton and LA looks like it's going to happen. Uh, you know, Calgary, Nashville, probably as well. But uh, the Eastern Conference is still such a such a crapshoot from day to day on, on who's going to finish where. I think I think Washington, Pittsburgh and Boston are fighting for their lives, Frank, to avoid <laughs> Florida. Right. You, you were like, hey, no offense to Carolina or the Rangers, but you take your chances if you're the wildcard teams against them. I think Florida is just going to run roughshod over that wildcard team. I agree. So they've won, what, 12 straight now? Yeah. And they're one of the few teams in NHL history to have multi uh, 10 plus game winning streaks on home ice in the same season. Think about that. Yeah. They set the NHL record for goals scored in a single season in the salary cap era on Thursday night. And they still have five more games to go. They, this is the stat that, that blows my mind. They've played 77 games and in 32 of those games, they've scored five or more goals and they've yet to be shut out this season. I love it. Love so it. that's the Panthers. And I, I tweeted that yesterday that the, the heat is on. It's a dead, it's a dead heat race for the penguins and caps to avoid Florida, the battle to avoid Florida. And people were tweeting at me saying, Florida's losing in round one. Can't believe you're betting on Sergei Bobrovsky. What? <laughs> I'd take that bet all day long. Like, have you been paying attention? And and by the way, Frank, they're doing this without Aaron Eckblad. Yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see when he comes back. I know he's skating again. Is it at the start of round one? Is it in the middle of round one? If it goes well, do they hold him out until round two? Yeah, I think they can be patient, don't you? Yeah, I would be. I mean, I believe it's a high ankle sprain. And those things, first off, are extremely painful. And second, you certainly don't want to re-aggravate it. No, no, that's the key. You rest. Hey, you take an extra the, forty-eight hours, man, can make a huge difference. It's the only. It's the only cure for a high ankle sprain is rest. Yeah. Uh, speaking of matchups, there's a chance Toronto and Tampa Bay could meet. And uh, Leaf fans, uh, they watched last night, and they're like, "Oof, I don't know if you want to play him because it's almost like Tampa Bay. Frank is the one team." because they've gone back to back. Like I look at Pittsburgh and the way they've kind of been slumping. I know they won last night, but they haven't played very well for the last two and a half months overall. When you look at their record, it's like 20th best record in the league. Tampa Bay had lost four in a row, but I, I was like, yeah, but they're the two time defending champs. Like they get a little bit more rope for me. And then last night, Steven Samco sets their franchise record and they absolutely spanked the Toronto Maple Leafs. Do you believe in messages that can be sent late in the regular season? Mm, not really. I think there's probably enough evidence that goes either way to suggest that one team could thump another and then, you know, come out in the playoffs and it's totally different. I would have to think the Leafs are, are thinking about it a little bit though. After, after that game, um, man, anytime a team puts an eight spot up on you, especially to do it in the final, what, 30 minutes of the game. It was like one, nothing or two, nothing for the longest stretch of time. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think you try and wipe that one from your memory and move on. And, and when the puck drops in the playoffs, hopefully a different story. Yeah. But right now it kind of, it looks like those two teams could be on a collision course. Now Toronto will have home ice advantage, which, uh, which is key. Toronto's a pretty good team uh, on home ice, 29, eight and two. And, um, 
that's you know like i'm so intrigued by so many of these different first round matchups i just i want the final week to to get over with i'm just like all right here we go there's you know there is i guess one race left it kind of seems dallas and and vegas and like i don't know vancouver i'm sorry but i don't think they're in so dallas or vegas and i know dallas just lost two games in edmonton and calgary but now they're at home and they've got four games um you know three of them against teams that are really out of it and, and especially arizona and anaheim like i'm not sure those two teams will win a game unless they play each other so um you know dallas i still put them in the in the driver's seat what did I think you the make west of- is set i think what the west is at this exact moment friday morning april 22nd i think that's exactly what it's going to be who finishes second though in the central you think it's mini or st louis that's, uh that's the one race they're tied right and i mini think it's going to be mini they've got the game in hand okay so you take dallas uh, to play colorado do, do you agree with daryl sutter then It'll be a waste of eight days for the Dallas Stars. <laughs> I do. I think the Stars are a pretender. Yeah. Okay. I think Ottinger has been great. I think their defense is mobile. It's been a big boost getting Heiskanen back. I think their first line is as good as any, but I think there's a real drop off for lines two, three, and four. And when you're going up against Colorado, like they can throw and, and come at you in waves. Like, I don't know. That's a tough matchup. Yeah, Ottinger's Ottinger's gonna have to stand on his head, and and he hasn't been great down the stretch here, Frank. He's you know his save percentage is under uh, just hovering around nine hundred for his last few starts, so he'll mm-hmm. uh, he'll have to improve. And the one matchup then, and we're gonna talk about it because I I agree with you. I think Calgary and Nashville look like they're on a collision course to meet, and you now that's two big physical teams. And uh, we got a pretty big physical guy who's gonna join us now in the rundown, Hal Gill. We are joined now on the DFO rundown by a player who is an eighth round selection who went on to play over 1,100 NHL games. He's a Stanley Cup winner. And uh, now, of course, a longtime color analyst for the Nashville Predators, Hal Gill, with one of the best Twitter handles as well. Gilly, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me on, guys. Now, is, is that actual a bag chucker? On your hat that I'm looking at right now. That is a bag chucker. Yeah. Get out to bagchucker.com. Where you know what? Mace uh, Chris Mason and I started bag chucker and we're like, it this is kind of taking off. And we're just chucking our bags in, in the hotel and going out for, for beers or whatever. And and so we kind of said, Well, how can we do something good with it? And so we started making some some t-shirts and hats and we're we're raising money for seven element, which is a veterans hockey group here in Nashville. So, um, you know, trying to do something good with our stupidity. Well, I love it. So bagchucker.com, check it out. And I love the the story behind bag. Cause I think there's a lot of guys, you don't have to be an NHL player to be a bag chucker. You just want to be somebody who likes to have a good time. Yeah. How many times have you said it lobby in 10, right? You're with your buddies and you're like, let's go check our bags and we'll meet in the lobby and go from there. You know? So yeah, that's, that's worldwide. That's not just hockey players. Although I feel like the old school hockey players back in the day, those guys perfected it. I was going to ask when you were playing, were you, were you chucking bags? Uh, Dave Ellett was my first roommate. I walked in the room. He came in after me. All I saw was his bag flying in the door and he was gone. (laughs) I never saw him after that. I don't, I don't know what he did. I was asleep by the time he got in. I, the bed was messed up, so I assumed he slept there, but he was up in the morning and he was already at the rink when I got there. So, you know, that's, that's a life lesson number one in the NHL. Wow. Uh, <laughs> impressive. I, I mean, I just – Hal, you'll, you know this. The game has changed so much. How many players today are actually going out for a pop? You know what? I think the game is too fast. I, I, you know, I went through that. They took away, what is it? 2004. They took away hooking and holding. And that was like, okay, I can't, I can't go out and have too many. I got to move. I got to keep my feet moving. The game got faster and harder. So I think it, it tailored off. There's more protein shakes now than there are beers. Um, But there's still, these guys will pick their spots. They still respect the fact that you can go out, it's just, you know, they they have to pick and choose. Maybe that's the next line of apparel. Instead of bag chucker, it's spot picker. 
the spot <laughs> protein shakes. That's it. That's the big one. Yeah. They took away pizza from us at the end of, after games. And I remember I was like, this, you're ruining the NHL. If you can't have a slice of pizza after you just played a game, if you can't have a couple beers in the shower, then uh, why are we even doing this? If I'm going to block a shot, give me a slice of pizza and a beer. That's when you knew it was time to go. That was when I'm out the door. Yeah, and it's, and, you know, and they also told me I can't play anymore. But, yeah. <laughs> there is something to that, though. The the, the fun element of, of you know having a, having a piece of on, just just relaxing, Hal. And you mentioned it. You know, the, the change of the game in 0506, and they really clamped down on obstruction at least for a year, but then it went down. Now you fast forward to this season. They're they're not calling significantly more penalties, but offense is way up and. Uh, part of my theory is, well, there's twofold. I do wonder if, if the, uh, the amount of different players that have had to play this year due to COVID, if, if that uh, impacted some games during the middle of the year when teams were shorthanded, but more so the big focus from players across the league and having skills coaches and working more on skills, offensive defensemen, because goaltenders, they were really the only ones who had a skills coach. They had their only goalie coach for a long time, and most guys never did it. You watch the game up close and personal, and you see some of the goals that are being scored. How much do you think the the, the growth in, in focusing on skills rather than just skating and being in great shape in the offseason is leading to this increase in offense? Yeah, well, I think there's, there's a lot of things. I think it takes time for for rules to come in till people pick up on, okay, what's available now. They learn a new skill set on offense. And so if you can't get on, on the hands, you can't slash, then eventually guys say, okay, I can do the lacrosse move. I can do the Michigan, whatever it is, you know, I can be a little more skilled. I think there's uh, something to be said for skilled coaches, like you said, but I also think, there's zero practice like right this time of year. There's no one that's practicing, right? The guys are exhausted. Um, I don't think they they're watching video and they're trying to figure it out. But I mean, when I was playing, we did, we practiced defense more than anything. It was the skilled side of the game. The coaches would just say, go make plays, get in the offensive zone, cycle it, move it, make your plays. But I think the defensive side, I think it's kind of a, a forgotten piece and it's hard for coaches to coach it when they can't get the guys on the ice. And I think, you know, there's no, there's no bang for your buck. If you're a good solid defenseman, you need to move the puck. You need to make plays. And so I think guys are, are leaning more to the offense just because that's where ultimately that's where the money is. So I, I don't know. I, I, I hate talking about it because I feel like an old curmudgeon because I say there's just not a lot of defense in the game anymore. This is ridiculous. But I, I do feel like there's a lot of factors that are leading to a lack of defense. Now, speaking of defensemen, uh, you watch every game, a defenseman by the name of Roman Yossi, who's having one of the greatest offensive seasons we've seen in a long time. He's on the verge of becoming the ninth defenseman ever to score 90 points, Alan. You know, I, I look at, at how he's used and in zone starts and who he's used against. It seems you talk about the offense that, you know, John Hines, like they really have a plan. They're maximizing Roman Yossi. It's not like he doesn't play defense, but they really maximize to put him in the best situations to augment his offensive creativity. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, first of all, it's so fun to watch him. I, I like, you know, as a watching the Preds every night, it's, it blows my mind what he does, but, um, yeah, I think they, they want to max it. They're using them on both power plays. You know, he'll play in on the first unit and then the second unit will come on and he'll be the stretch guy and kind of hang out there and run that power play. So they're maximizing that. But, um, you know, he's just, it's every shift. He pushes through the neutral zone. He's got his, if he gets a puck in the defensive zone, he's he's getting it through. You're Everyone's looking to get in the offensive zone. Don't worry about it. Yosa's got it. He's going to get it there. Um, I will say teams are stacking up on him because, you know, this time of year, I think coaches are looking to lock down and, and could kind of change their game to tailor against a team. Uh, and I feel like, you know, they're locking down, they're sending two guys Roman Yossi's way. So he's got to move the puck a little quicker, but if he moves the puck up, he's also joining the rush. You can't stop him. He's just, he's constantly in the play and in the offensive zone, he just carries the play. He's, he can hold on to the puck like no one I've ever seen. And 
you know, I, I put them up with the best forwards, you know, with Connor McDavid. I don't know who's harder to get the puck from Roman Yossi or Connor McDavid. I, I, I don't know. It's tough. They, they just protect the puck so well and create so many chances where they're skating. So Jay hit on it though. The, the offensive zone starts and the position that he's been in, I guess people look at the competition that he's played with and they also use that as an opportunity to knock him down a peg when talking about being the best all around defenseman, how would you evaluate how the season Yossi has had in his own end? Um, I think he's good. You know what the, the problem was is he feels like he has to drive the offense. So defensively, He's trying to jump routes. He's trying to pick off passes. He's not necessarily worried about his guy and just covering his guy. He's thinking two steps ahead. If I can cheat on this one and he can make up with it, with his skating, he can make up with what he, what he, when he does mess up, he's got the ability to recover, uh, but he's jumping routes. That's why he gets those, those D zone exits. That's why he's able to carry the play offensively is because he will take chances. Um, so he's, he, he wouldn't be my style of defensive defenseman. He's not just locking down a guy and, and, and trying to get stops. He's trying to anticipate and get the stop before it's even able to get there. Um, so he does miss sometimes, but he can recover. So I'm glad you brought that up because I've been lobbying the past number of years. The Norris trophy is great. I think we're all for recognizing the top defenseman, but I've been saying we should create a defensive defenseman award. We'll call it the Rod Langway, the only defenseman in the Hockey Hall of Fame that's gotten there on his defensive merit instead of uh, necessarily his point production and totals. How would you feel about that, Hal? I love that. I think that's, I think that's, uh, you know, what everyone talks about it in the NHL is that's the best defensive, you know, so might as well. Uh, there's enough individual awards. I don't really care about individual awards because I feel like, um, you know, I, I, I hope my teammates appreciated the fact that I was a stay at home defenseman. I know I appreciated the guys that I played with. I know some guys are, are just, that's the way they're built, you know, but you need that to win. How many times have we seen in the playoffs, offensive defensemen get steamrolled and, and get crushed in the defensive zone and they end up losing a series because of it. Um, you need those guys to win. Who were the defensive defensemen you like watching? Um, well, you know what? I get to watch Matias Ekholm a lot. He's, he's been fun to watch. Um, but you know, I, I look at the guys and, and maybe they're not fun to watch, but you know, we just played against, um, Calgary and, and Erica Branson was out there just, just locking it down solidly. I, I feel like it's almost like you don't pay attention to him. Um, Sharmison was a guy and, you know, you watched him play throughout his career he would just lock it down. Um, you know, I just, I, you know, it's, there's one or two guys on each team that you kind of say, okay, they're not flashy, but what are they doing? And when you get a chance to break down their video and see what they're doing, they're just, you know, I hate to say eating up minutes, but there's times when you have to eat up minutes and not let people score so that your offensive guys can get out there and go score goals. And so I think that's a, a huge role. And, um, you know, analytics doesn't like it and, and no one really in the stands wants to see it. But I think uh, if you want to win, you need those guys. How you, guys that you need, you look at Nashville, like obviously you got Roman Yossi as a lead. And, and I think the reason maybe that he feels he has to drive the offense is they don't have like a Connor McDavid or a Matthews or a Hubert dry side like that. You know, Matt Duchesne and Philip Forsberg are good offensive players, but they're not elite amongst the elite. But Nashville's third line. You know, led by, you know, you got Janot and, and Trent, and they got like 41 goals between the two of them and, and Sissons, and they're they're very physical. Um, can you talk about the importance of that line? And right now, there's a pretty good chance Nashville and Calgary are going to meet up in the first round, right? And, and Calgary's got some heavy fours for sure, but give me your thoughts on that matchup and the importance of that Sissons, Trent, and Janot line for the Preds. Yeah, that's their identity, right? Uh, we've heard how many coaches say that's our identity line. This is what we're going to be all about. Um, they set the tone that, you know, Colton Sissons is just so good, reliable. You can you can start him anywhere. He gets a lot of the D zone starts because he's good in face-offs and he plays really well defensively. Um, Yakov Trenin, 
is a, a steam engine. When he gets on the four check, he's got deceptive speed and he can crush guys. Tanner Janot came out of nowhere and he's just an absolute beast. Um, in my mind, the best, the best rookie, not just for the numbers, not for any, you know, the fights, but the, you know, he crushes guys and he changes games, you know? So um, that line goes out. They're kind of been cold recently. They, they've, they've gone, gone kind of quiet on the score sheet, but when they get out there, they can affect the game, you know, the, and when it comes to, you talked about Calgary, um, it's going to be interesting to see if the Preds can make it into the playoffs and get that matchup. That's going to be a, a bloodbath. I think it's going to be a lot of banging and that line is going to have to step up and be physical. And they got some big D for Calgary. I talked about Cabranson, but they got a, a bunch of solid D on that end. And so to wear them down is going to take a lot of work. And I think you're going to look to that line to get, to get big minutes and to wear them down hard, being physical on them. You mentioned wearing down, you, you know, you're a big defenseman yourself in your career. Like, does it really work? Did you ever feel like you were worn down? You know what? It, I, and I try to tell forwards all this all the time. I don't mind getting a hit. Go ahead, do it. But you know, I was a guy who wanted people to hit me and the first period. Yeah, fine. Put them back. I'll, I'll go get every puck. I will take the hit to make the play. The second period you go, all right, like, is there another op opportunity here? Like, can I maybe ride him out? Should I get a better gap so that he can't dump it in? And then the, by the third period, it's just, if this guy keeps dumping it in and running me over now I'm cheating back and as a forward, that gives you all the space in the world. Like, you know, it, that's the evolution of a game. You know, if, if you try to beat me one-on-one, -on -one, awesome. I'll take you every time. Go ahead and try to beat me. Uh, you dump it in early and often, eventually it wears you down. It's exhausting. And so uh, I think that's how you wear down D is early in the games. You put it behind them, make them go back for retrievals, finish your checks. And then you're going to see in the third period, you're going to have all the space in the world to make those plays. But, you know, there's some guys I like to think I was a guy that would would stay in the groove and be willing to take the hits over and over. But I know there's a bunch of guys that weren't. And we used to pick them out right before a playoff series. We'd go down the board and go that guy, that guy, that guy. Never miss a check on well, those three guys will just destroy him. And, you know, eventually you could see it. You'd win a series because you'd wear down a defenseman. Is there a playoff series, Hal, that you can remember that was more grueling than most others? Um, oh, man. Um, you know what? It was – there was uh, – we had those battles when I was with Pittsburgh against Detroit, obviously, in the finals. So you're exhausted anyway. <laughs> those are – and and you got Datsuk, Zetterberg, Holmstrom battling him in front of the net. Those just exhausting. Um, and then I look at you know the our run with Montreal. We were just you know uh, I you know playing against seven games against Pittsburgh, seven games against Washington. You stack those up, and it just you know it it's uh, it'll beat you up. And so those were some. And the funny part is uh, those are my best memories. So go, <laughs> go figure. That's what yeah. you want to be tested, right? You're getting the playoffs. You want to be tested. Exactly. So if we're looking at the flames and Preds, um, not a knock on Calgary at all. I, I love Calgary's team. I think this series would be a lot more even than most people might realize. What is one key or X factor for the Preds that they would need in that matchup? Well, it's, I think if Roman Yossi can get free, if he can free up to be to do what he's done all season, I think he's going to be keyed on and any series that you play. And I think if, if I'm matching up against him, I'm taking him out of the play as much as possible. Right. So um, I think secondary scoring is going to be a key for the Preds, you know, you uh, for both teams, really. I think you, you, if you lock down the top two lines for each team, you know, you're looking at, Gaudreau, if you can lock down his line and, you know, Calgary can lock down Duchesne and Forsberg, then where is that secondary scoring coming? And, and I think that's going to be a battle and in goaltending, you know, I, I, I think that Saros might have the edge there, but 
I think there's a lot left to see uh, on that one. So, um, you know, I think if we talked about that Sissons line, the the herd line, the beast line, if they can get out there and and impact the game and kind of rough up those defensemen, even though they are big and solid, that'll be uh, that'll be a game changer. You mentioned, you know, Roman Yossi, but the Flames top line, no line in the NHL has played together more than that trio because basically they've been healthy. Number one, you know, there's no COVID or anything where they, they miss games, but they've been dynamic. So if you're playing the matchup game, which line and which D pair do you think John Hines is going to try to get out against that trio as much as they can? Well, it would be interesting. I, I think Groundland has been their defensive go-to guy. And, and if you're trying to match one-on-one go head to head, then you put him out there. Otherwise I think they're comfortable with Sissons playing against that. Johansson can also play a good defensive role and he's right now he's playing with cousins and cunning. So, you know, the, the Preds haven't had all the great scoring in the last few years. This is just the, the first year that Forsberg is setting record, his personal records and Duchesne as well. So um, they've really relied on having three lines, two lines that can play against the big guns. Um, so I think you'll look at probably Colton Sissons uh, playing in the defensive zone and getting those starts. But I wouldn't be surprised if in the offensive zone, you get Groundland with Duchesne and Forsberg playing against those guys. If you can. <laughs> yeah, the matchup road might be tough. <laughs> yeah, the, the matchup aspect of that. And I, I want to get into that, Hal, because, of course, you know, you went to, you know, you, it's rare to see the same team in the Stanley Cup final back to back years. And you did when you played how, as a player. Did you have certain coaches that really tried to get the matchups? Did you like that as a player or did sometimes did it take the flow of the game out because you were so worried about always having certain guys out there? How, how did you like matchups or non matchups as a player? Yeah, well, that's how I came in the league. Pat Burns was literally, you know, literally he'd say ice it so we could change. If you get the puck, just ice it so we can change. And, you know, if I was matching and, and I, I loved it because I was matching up against the best, the best guys. But, um, and so, you know, I, I enjoyed it, but, um, and there's something to be said for your role, right? There's, this is your role. This is what you do. Keep it defined and go out and do your job. Um, but it does ruin the rhythm of a game. And so I feel like the good teams have, you know, you, you're sheltering one defensive pair or you're keeping one line away and then you're trusting two lines or two, two sets of D to get the job done so that, um, you know, and then we've also seen the, you know, you'll split up the defensive pair, put one guy out, whoever they bring out next, you'll bring the other guy off, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I, I do think it ruins the rhythm, but there's just certain times that, you know, you get a bottom feeder player, like, Yarmir Yager, I played against him for a long time and he would, he he'd just ride out a shift where I'd stay on the ice for a minute and a half. And then I change and he wouldn't do anything the whole shift. And then he'd just wait for the next guy to come out and then he'd go. And so, you know, there's, there's ways around it and there's certain strategies, but there's guys that can abuse some players and they want that matchup and they'll do whatever it takes to get it. So that becomes the challenge, I think, but yeah, I think, I think having two lines and two sets of D that you're confident in makes a big difference. Hal, I wanted to ask you about life after your playing career, you played your last games in 2013, 14 with the flyers. Um, how did you end up in media? Was that always the plan? I know you did a little bit of player development in the meantime. What's it been like now on the dark side as a media guy? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, I did player development with Brian McCabe and in, in Florida and I had a ton of fun doing that and they went a different direction and I kind of had another chance to reset. And I was coaching high school hockey um, at Lincoln Sudbury. And we had some fun doing that. That was great. I did that for three years. I was coaching girls lacrosse. Um, don't know anything about that, but I was coaching high school girls lacrosse, which was fun. Um, and then it, it gave me a chance to see what I wanted to do. And I, I really, I love the coaching aspect. 
and I wasn't into the management side. I wanted to try to help kids and help players. And so I looked at it and said, all right, if I'm coaching, um, how does that work? And I, I didn't want to put my family. I've, I already did 17 years of moving my family around. So I didn't want to chase the coaching gene. I think I will do that to some extent at some point, but right now I wanted to give the kids a base and, and kind of stick around for a while. And that's when I looked at broadcasting. So um, the Preds were nice enough to, to give me a chance. And we moved back from Boston and um, you know, at, at first time I did broadcasting, I hated it. I was like, this is, this is dumb. This, I, I, I don't, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm saying. And, and then as soon as I figured out, I hated it. I stopped worrying about the camera. I stopped worrying about anything and just started talking and they haven't kicked me off yet. So um, I'm having fun with it and, you know, get to travel a little bit with the team and be around it. I'm, I'm in with the, with everything that's going on and, and I'm enjoying it. How much do you think being a media friendly player helped you transition? Like, did it, do you feel like it gave you an opportunity after your career? You know, players always say, you know, why should I, I don't want to say play ball with the media, but you played in some major markets, Toronto, Boston, Pittsburgh, Montreal, Philly, you know, you were through the ringer in terms of being out there and, and being a front facing guy at times and always someone available to answer questions. I remember I covered uh, the flyers in your, the tail end of your career and you're just an easy guy to talk to. I remember, you know, coming up to you after a skate one day, I think you've been, scratched for 14 times in a row, you were getting bagged and you're like, what do you want? But you were nice enough to chat. And then at the end, you're like, is that enough bullshit for you? Like you, like you just got it. Someone that always got it. That's what I remembered from my conversation with you. Do you feel like that helped you throughout your career in terms of um, not maybe longevity, because if you can't play, you can't play, but do you feel like that helped you in terms of getting opportunities and then also your post playing career? Yeah. Um, it's kind of a funny progression because, you know, I played in Boston and, you know, I just I throw the cliches out, do your job. You know, you know, we gave a hundred percent and I, you know, I, I throw all those out and I got to Toronto and th there's just a huge fear of the media and all the guys were just afraid uh, to talk. And rightfully so the Toronto media would chew them up and spit them out. If you said the wrong thing, um, Brian McCabe was one of my best friends, one of the best teammates I've ever had a great guy and the media just jumped on him. And so he was like, I'm not talking to you guys anymore. And that was fractured. It was, it, they got the media got the wrong side of him. And so I, I was looking at it going, this is, this is stupid. Like, you know, this isn't the way it should be. Guys should not be afraid of the media. And then um, going to Pittsburgh, we had the good run. And so I was kind of slammed in the media's face. And I was around guys that kind of in Pittsburgh, you can say whatever you want and people still love you. You know, the Pittsburgh fan base is like, yeah, he said that. I don't care. He's great. You know, they want to build players up. And so it was a total different atmosphere. So that after that, I went to Montreal <laughs> and that's a beast on its own. And I remember saying, I'm not going to be afraid of these guys. I'm not going to like, it's not right. I'm not going to, you were able to happened. be yourself. I think. Yeah. I, I, you know, and if, if you don't like me, you know, who cares? You know, you're, you know, if you guys run me out of town, then, you know, I tried to pretend and hide from the media in Toronto and they ran me out of town. So um, I'm, I'm not going to play that again. And I remember Carrie price was in a, um, in an exhibition game and they booed him. I was like, he let in some bad goals and they booed him. And I was in an exhibition game and I was furious. I, you know, right after the game, I called all the fans out and I said, that's ridiculous uh, for supposedly a, a knowledgeable fan base to boo Carey Price in an exhibition game. That's the dumbest thing ever. I can't believe it. I, it's embarrassing. And I called the fans out and I remember I went over to Dominic Sion and I said, um, Dom, I, I'm in trouble. I, I just called out the fans. I'm done. So uh, the next day he, I don't know if he made calls or he helped me out or did something, 
But the next day they're like, oh, we like how all the French media, everyone, we like Hal Gill because he stood up for Carey Price. Like no one's ever stood up for anyone. You know, it's like that's that was a, a rare thing. And so they respected me for it. And so after that, I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to call it like I see it. And if people don't respect me for what I do, then I'll move on. But at least I at least I defended a teammate or defended myself. Carrie Price, I'm guessing, that became a huge Hal Gill fan that day. <laughs> well, you know what? He, he should have been already with all those shot blocks. He had gone. He had gone through so much uh, to to have a great season, and I just it broke my heart uh, hearing people boo him just because it's a first act. Anyway, I, but yeah, I love Carrie, and of course, I love goalies. <laughs> they bail me out. You know, that's that's I got to take care of those guys. How we always like to finish off with a with a little bit of rapid fire. Uh, the the only rule is you have to answer the question. Some are easy. Uh, some might be a, a little bit more where you can't sit on the fence. So we like to have a little bit of fun. Um, I noticed in your wife. background you got the, uh, the the humble brag with the Stanley Cup. What um, what was your best memory of your day with the cup? Uh, watching my kids with it. Watching the kids eat cereal, ice cream. Just, you know, just the, the excitement and, and obviously everyone that saw it, the light, eyes light up. It's the best day. It's the best thing. That thing's a party everywhere you go. So take me back to 1997, 1998, a six foot seven, 240 pound rookie comes into the national hockey league. Did who was the first guy to call you out? Because back then in the nineties, like there were still a lot of fights. You were a big dude. Um, who was your welcome to the NHL physical moment in the end? Well, first NHL? of all, I, I was, I was two fifteen, I think. Two fifteen. Okay. <laughs> okay. I was I didn't put on any weight until a couple of years. Um, yeah. You know what? I think the first one that kind of caught my attention was um, Joey Koser. That was oh. my I remember um, my father-in-law said, stay away from this guy. And then off the first shift, he elbowed me, jumped up and got me. And I was like, well, what are you doing? Turn around and we were dropping him and going. And I survived. I made it through. I was alive. So I was pretty happy about that. God, he, I, I've heard he had maybe one of the hardest punches in the NHL. Like he crushed guys. It was, it was that close to my nose about five times. And it just kept going. This big meat hook kept going by my face. Thank God it never got me. I would have been done. Best player that you, best star player that you like going against the one that you felt was the biggest challenge for you. Um, I, I always loved going against Yager. Um, that's because I had success against him. He tried to use his reach and I could, I, I could negate that. Um, the hardest one, I, I thought Lemieux was like just uh, unstoppable. Like he's a great skater, great puck handler, but you know, it's a five on three and he'd stand on the goal line and rip one timers under the bar. It's like, how do you defend that? It's just, <laughs> it was tough. You know, the other guy that was sneaky is Kovalev. Like he oh. was, he was, he was streaky. He wasn't a guy that was like all the time, but he just stop, cut back and go. And it was like, uh, Whoa, where did that? That's, that's unstoppable as well. So um, uh, now guys playing now, of course, Crosby, that was tough. It's tough to play against. It just, you get so low, but the other sneaky one that is tough is Zuccarello. Uh, he has that long stick. He's quick. He's low. And, you know, he combines it all together. It's kind of like Yager, but a miniature version that gets lower. Okay. Um, so you mentioned, you know, Toronto wasn't the best time, but then you get traded at the deadline to Pittsburgh in, in 07, 08. And now you had seen a little bit of Crosby at that point in Malkin, but what was your first impressions as a teammate? What wowed you the most of Crosby and then Malkin when you became a teammate? Um, well, it, it, Crosby right away. We got, I got into a practice and, and he's driving wide on me and he sets, he gets low and he's starting to come into me. And I, I had a chance to like really push him and, but it's practice. I'm like, I, I let him go. And he came over to me after he goes, what was that? And he's like, you never let me do that ever. And I'm like, yeah, well, it's, I'm on your team now, but I'm not going to 
try to hit you as hard as I can. Because <laughs> if you don't play me hard in practice, we're never going to get better. You have to go all out. And he started giving me this rant and I'm like, is this kid for serious? Like what is, what is wrong with this guy? But um, what stood out is he goes hard and you know, he's, you see him, how many goals he scores off to the side of the net and yeah. you say, Oh, that was a lucky one that went off this when it, uh, he works on it hundred pucks after every practice. It's just, he, he's always there. He's always working on it. So um, you know, that stood out. And then Malkin just whenever he wanted to, you know, you could see it and his eyes would cross a little bit and he'd just take over a game. Um, he didn't always, he doesn't always do it, but you could see it when, when he wants to take over a game, he's got the skill set. He's got the power to do it. Your, your 2009 Stanley cup winning year. That's when Malkin had 36 points. Crosby had 33, you know, like those two were clearly your offensive catalyst, but you mentioned goaltenders and you had a young Mark Andre Fleury. And I, I, I just saw the other day, had another prank with the styrofoam. Did Fleury ever prank you? And if so, what was his best? Um, You know what is funny is it was all the time. It's not just like a little prank here or there. It's all the time. Like almost every other lunch pregame meal, he'd be under the buffet with putting butter on shoes and cream on shoes. Like it was constantly. I remember it was before game seven in Detroit um, in 09. He was doing leaners uh, on the doors in the hotel. Just, <laughs> just messing around with the guys. It's constant. So um, you know, the, the, the shaving cream and the towel, um, it just, it never stopped shaving cream in the shoe. Yeah. Flowers. He doesn't, he doesn't stop. I tell you what though, there's nothing more fun than playing for him. He's, he's really vocal. And so, you know, I, like if a guy beat me and he made the save on the way by, I've been chasing the guy into the corner and here I'd hear, I got you skillsy. I got you, you know, like, uh, like I take care of you, buddy, you know, like just constantly talking and made it a lot of fun to play with. And plus he, uh, like ultimate competitor, never quit ever. And that includes practice. Help that he was pretty good. I think they learned that together. So how you get one goalie flurry price or Rene, who's your goalie? Oh, that's a tough one. I I won't answer. I'm you, not gonna you, they, oh, you got answer. Billy Garrett yelled at us, but he answered. He still answered. No. I I I take uh Pekka Andre Price. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not oh. gonna answer that. Oh, okay, yeah. Doesn't mean that I, they're not all awesome. You're gonna ask me which kid I want. Well <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that's a little hey, every parent knows depends on the day, Hal. Depends on the day which kid, right? You know what? I I I want to play for goalies that were great guys. And all those guys are just awesome. Okay. And, I'll ask you. And I'll put was, Raycroft in there too. I love, I love playing for Razor. Who was the most hot headed goalie that you had as a teammate? Uh, I don't know if he was hot headed. Well, I played with Byron Defoe and he wanted to kill me half the time. Um, it's like, dude, I tried to stop this guy, I, but he scored and I'm sorry. You know, like, please don't yell at me. I was trying. Um, uh, Jeff Hackett was, you know, he played by a, a certain rule. Um, you know, he had to, he had to have it his way. Um, and then I, it, you know, pricey, I know he doesn't show it, uh, but Kerry price, he'll lose his cool. He'll, he'll snap. Okay. Um, Holy snap at some point. It's just oh, what the breaking point is. I would think so for sure. Now this one might be a, a tougher one, but did you ever have a defense, which defense partner did you feel complimented you the best in your career? Um, <clears throat> well, I started off with Ray Bork. So all I wanted to do was give it to Ray and <laughs> I called it, give it to Ray, get away, you know, just let him go do his thing. Um, I, I played really well with um, Nick Boynton. I played really well with him. I understood his game. Uh, and then I, I, I think, I think in, in Pittsburgh, I, I really played well with Rob Scuderi, but that was a, you know, I talk about a shutdown. Oh. Era. We were just, uh, we were just locked in and we, 
you know, it was one word cues all over the ice. You know, it was kind of, we knew exactly what we were going to do when we had a game plan and we weren't relying on either one of us getting the puck and just skated out. You know, I played with Paul coffee and he told me corners are for bus stops and I don't ride the bus. <laughs> and so I was in the corner all the time. Yeah. You know? And he'd wait in front of the net and I'd, you know, I'd get it to him and let him go. Um, but that's, um, yeah, I think Scuderi is the one I, I clicked with the best. Lastly, you mentioned, you know, Ray Bork, like Ray Bork's one of the oh, legends. Not Josh George's. Yeah. Georgie okay. and I were dialed in too. We okay. had a good run. Now Sorry. you mentioned Ray Bork though. You come in how you're a young player and I'm assuming as a defenseman coming up Ray Bork at that time. And like, he was, he was the prime him and Paul coffee, Nick Lidstrom had started to show what he could do, but Ray Bork had been the defense when I'm assuming most D men wanted to be like, I was from Boston too. How intimidating was it for you? how did you get over it? And how did Ray Bork make you feel comfortable? Um, you know what? He, he had a lot of fun playing and, and he just, when it came game time, he demanded a lot. And, you know, it's, it, you know, if I made, tried to make a cute play, you no know, kid, it, like right to the bench, you'd be like, that's got to be hard. Everything's got to be hard. You know, you got to make that play hard. You went in soft there. That's got to be hard. Um, he was, he was, I think the fact that he was demanding on the ice, uh, but off the ice, he was having fun. You know, like I, I remember I was nervous. It was, it was the beginning of the season. I made the team. I was in the team photo and, and he was singing to me, looks like he made it. And so I was, I felt like, you know, I, like he relaxed me when I needed to be relaxed. And lastly, how um, cocktail of choice, alcoholic or non-alcoholic? Um, I drink coffee and I drink IPAs. Right. I, but that doesn't mean you know, I won't drink everything, you know, oh, there's yeah. a time and a place, right? Yeah. If I'm on the beach, give me a margarita or a Corona. If I'm, uh, you know, sitting by a fire, get me a scotch or a bourbon. Um, you know, if I'm at a high class restaurant, which they, they usually don't let me into, I'd, I'd have a martini, you know, so, but I'm an IPA guy. Oh, it sounds like you're a bag chucker though, for through and through, you'll take anything. Yeah, I'll take anything. <laughs> Someone asked Someone asked me where I'm going to go in Tampa tonight. And I said, wherever my feet take me. <laughs> right. So good. Uh, get, get out Al, there. We appreciate you, man. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, we'll see you on the playoff trail. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me guys. Hal Gill, what a legend and absolute beauty. And uh, Frank, the, uh, isn't it skillsy 75 is, is, uh, is his handle on Twitter yeah, at skillsy 75. What a legend. Oh, such a good guy, man. Big dude. I love, I'm telling love you, like, I, that's like, well, it's one of those things I vividly remember, like going up to Hal Gill after he was like a healthy scratch for like the 38th game in a row. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> like, I don't know. There's no one left here in the locker room. Everyone else has already left for lunch. Uh, okay. Like talk to me about being a healthy scratch. He was great. And then he's like, we've talked for like 10 minutes. Is that enough bullshit for you? Click recorder off. Just as you saw him in the pod is exactly how he is. Oh, he was just a down to earth guy. Um, you know, one of the very beloved teammates, some guys I've talked to over the years when you ask, Hey, who is one of your favorite teammates? And so many, and it's funny, lots of goalies love him. And you know, how could you not Yeah, blocking all those shots? Yeah. Well, except maybe Hackett. <laughs> I don't think Jeff Hackett, anyone would say that Jeff Hackett was their favorite teammate. Yeah. Uh, Frank, have yourself a, a great weekend. Uh, the, the playoff pitcher in the West, uh, you think it's pretty much done. I would agree with you. I think it's uh, it's very close. They're on some life support. Uh, and unless the Dallas Stars just uh, fall off the rails here, they should be able to uh, to find their way into the postseason, although it uh, it might be a short-lived eight days. I think the 16 are the 16. Awesome, Frankie. We'll talk to you Monday. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.